Well, good morning. Welcome to Life of Purpose Christian Church. I'm so glad you're joining us, and I am excited to bring you part two of Proverbs. That's right, Proverbs. Um, I said last week, a proverb a day keeps the foolish away. And I have been reading Proverbs for 20 years, and I still am learning from this great book of wisdom. I brought to you some of my favorite Proverbs last Sunday and even on Wednesday when I did my first ever Facebook Live, which I enjoyed, and I'll do that again this week. But this, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Proverbs, um, some of the ones that help you with your uh, money. Um, anybody use a little wisdom when it comes to money? Me too. That's right. And then with our mouth and the words that we say. So this book is so incredibly practical and beneficial. I really don't want you to miss this message. So right now, what I need you to do is turn off all the distractions. Anything that's distracting you, turn this up. Put in headphones if you have to, but you've got to hear this. This will, um, this will change your life. And I want you to uh, see how God's Word changes your life. So we're going to start with prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please today um, let the Word sink into our hearts and our minds and, and let it bring us um, wisdom. Let it um, help us to make great decisions in our, in our lives and, and let it help us um, lead our families to grow closer to you and to understand you more and to know you more. And Father, I pray that you would um, bring a blessing upon um, this great nation and, and this country and, and our homes as we continue to be in quarantine because of the coronavirus. Father, I pray that you'll be with those that are um, continuing to work and, and putting themselves in harm's way. God, um, heal them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, first question I want you to think about this morning is this. How do you define lazy? How do you define lazy? That's a tough answer, and I'm sure you probably had some pretty funny um, responses to that. You know what the dictionary says? Lazy is unwilling to work or use energy. And right next to that definition in the dictionary is a picture of a teenager. Sorry, teenagers. But you know it's true, and I know it's true because I was once a teenager as well. Yes, teens can be lazy. In fact, I heard a uh, comedian talking about his lazy teenage daughter. And you may have heard this, but uh, they were sitting at the kitchen table having dinner, and um, they had salad, and uh, the teen, his teen daughter, wanted ranch dressing. And he said, well, just get up and get it. The fridge is right there. It's just a few steps away. She literally ate her salad plain because she was too lazy to get up and go to the fridge. He was furious. He's like, what is it? Is the ranch in Hidden Valley? Just go get it. It's a few steps away. I love that. We got a lot of laughs out of that joke. But yeah, teens can be lazy. But the truth is, if that's your definition of lazy, then we're all guilty. We all don't feel like doing something at any particular time. So that really can't be the true definition of lazy. And that's really now what Proverbs is talking about. So I want, I want the Bible to define lazy for us because that's, 
the, the, the key for us is we don't want to be lazy in terms of what the Bible says. And um, in order to understand that, it's best to probably focus on what is the opposite of lazy, and that would be self-disciplined. Yeah, what we see in the Bible is someone who has self-discipline is not lazy. Let me read to you some of these Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs 6, 10, and 11, along with Proverbs 24, 33, and 34, that's the same thing. It's repeated. And I feel like if something is repeated in Proverbs, it must be really important. So it says in verse 10 of chapter 6, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In other words, if all you want to do is lay around and sleep instead of go to work five, six, whatever days a week, uh, you won't be able to provide for you and your family. That's lazy. Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. But the diligent man, the diligent man, that's self-discipline, he will get precious wealth. Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is lazy comes to poverty. This last one really makes me laugh. It's pretty brief and short. It says Proverbs 30, verse 15, the first part of verse 15, it says the leech has two daughters. Give and give. <laughs> I like that one because laziness, lazy people just want you to give them, hand it to you um, on a platter. What does a self-disciplined person do that a lazy person does not do? And the answer to that question is provide. Provide. A self-disciplined person provides. And we have three main essentials those three main essentials you might be familiar with because your parents probably told you they provided them for you your whole life growing up. They are food, shelter, and clothing. And they probably told you those things right after they told you, this is my house and my rules. That's right. You got that right. Well, food, shelter, and clothing are important. Those are essentials. Those are our needs. It kind of reminds me of this funny story that my son uh, really brought us um, some, some laughter um, when he was in kindergarten. His kindergarten teacher had him make a list of wants and needs for his family. And he wrote down all the wants and needs of his family. And one of the needs that he put down um, for his family was this one item that's probably not a need. He wrote down coffee. Coffee. I'm pretty sure he had his mother in mind, but yeah, he thought in his little mind that coffee was an essential. And you're probably saying, it is, Pastor Matt, it really is. Well, you know, food, shelter, and clothing are our basic needs, and the lazy person doesn't provide those things. But the other thing that, that I see in Proverbs is that we do need those things to live well now. We need food and shelter and clothing. But Proverbs also teaches you that you must prepare for the future. 
You must have self-discipline to prepare for the future, and that means retirement. Retirement. In fact, the beauty of Proverbs is that it gives tremendous wisdom when it comes to money. I mean, I could definitely use all the wisdom I can get about money. I'm sure you can too, right? I mean, money is important, um, but it also, um, it's important that we understand how to view money. Now, I mentioned last week that a motivational speaker that I listened to 20 years ago, he since passed away, um, he uh, recommended three books in this tape that I listened to of him. And those three books, um, he made a big deal about them. Um, he said that um, he recommends these three books to thousands of people every single year as he spoke all over the world. And he, he suspected that very few people, um, probably less than 3%, actually bought those books and read them. Well, I want to tell you that I am a 3%er because I bought those three books and I have read them. And um, the three books, um, I'll give them to you for free here. Uh, the three books here, uh, one of them, the first one, was, was a little strange and he kind of warned you that it has some weird uh, um, theories in it, but it was called Think and Grow Rich. Uh, the second book, amazing. Incredible biblical, um, really, I think, biblical principles, um, but built into a story, how to manage your money, um, how to um, create wealth, called The Richest Man in Babylon by George C. Clayson. Great book. The third book he recommended to his secular audiences, by the way, was the Bible. That's right. He recommended the book because he understood, he was a Christian, and he understood that the Bible has great wisdom. Proverbs has great wisdom, especially when it comes to money. Now, um, as I said to you earlier, before I share with you, with you these proverbs about money, I want to ask you this question. How do you view money? How do you view money? Like, do you, do you own it all? Is it all yours? Or are you a manager? Actually, I'll ask it this way. Do you view money like Jesus or like Judas? Do you view money like Jesus or like Judas? I'll give you some examples. First of all, Jesus had the right perspective. In fact, he had a righteous perspective of money. He told, he told them that give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Judas, on the other hand, sold Jesus out, his mentor, his teacher, his rabbi, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Do you have a righteous perspective of money? Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 11.4. Riches do not profit you in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs eleven twenty eight, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together, but the Lord is the maker of them all. See, right there, that's perspective. Who makes the rich and the poor? The Lord does. Your money is not yours. God blesses you with it, trusts you with it to manage it. The Lord is the one who gives. Proverbs 23, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, 
a king, a, a royalty, um, anyone who's wealthy. Observe carefully what's before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to that appetite. That, is, that got my attention. Probably, though, one of my favorites is this one. Give me neither, this is uh, Proverbs 30, by the way, um, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Give me what I need, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Are you content with being in the middle class? would probably be a, a way of reading this. And I am. I have a righteous perspective of money. Do you have a righteous perspective? Do you understand its purpose? Money is not here to make your life easier and better. No. God is here for that. God is here to make your life better. Money is to provide for your needs. That's a righteous perspective. Secondly, uh, part of money is, are you generous with your money? Are you generous? Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your produce. That means give God the first 10% of your paycheck, not whatever you have left over after you do all what you want to do with it. And then when you do that, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, you'll be blessed when you do that. Proverbs 3, 28. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, then I'll give it to you. If you have it, give it to him now. That's what it says about generosity. Whoever brings, in Proverbs eleven twenty five. whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. 13.22, a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And then finally, Proverbs 25.21, if, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Your enemy. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And by so you'll burn um, heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. That was actually a positive thing. Um, Jesus was very generous. He freely gave to people what they needed. Judas, on the other hand, he kept helping himself to the money bag, um, taking money from the other disciples. Generosity leads to many blessings. Thirdly, do you have a lot of loans or debts? Proverbs warns against that. It says that's not a good thing at all. In fact, be careful who you borrow from and who you loan to. Proverbs 6.1, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. In other words, co-signing loans, yoking yourself up with others that um, do not have the same values as you. Not a good idea. Dave Ramsey loves to use this one, Proverbs 22.7. He says the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And if you've ever been in debt, you know what it's like. You know what it feels like. I've been there. You feel like a slave to the lender. Debt puts you in that. Jesus would say, and agree with Paul, I think, that the only debt we should have is the debt to love one another. That's the only debt we should have. 
But Judas, on the other hand, my guess is that he would have been maxed out on his credit cards. Or do you have a, a Judas um, view of money or a Jesus view of money? Lastly, are you saving for retirement? Proverbs 13.11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little increases it. That's the key to retirement, right? Little by little, you're saving up for retirement. Proverbs 27, 23, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. Riches don't last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? So know what you're investing in. Know, pay close attention to that. Jesus believed in preparing for the future. Judas, on the other hand, lived in the moment and it cost him his life. When it comes to your money, be like Jesus. Don't be like Judas. Jesus was generous. He understood that he had, you needed to have self-discipline. You need to be a provider. Judas was lazy. You know, he just followed Jesus because he thought it was a, a really a, a quick way to get wealthy, a quick way to financial freedom because Judas was potentially uh, excuse me, Jesus in Judas's mind was the Messiah and would lead to a earthly kingdom and he thought that that would bring him wealth. But Jesus had a different plan and a different path in mind. It was filled with generosity and a righteous view of money. Money is just one example of self-discipline that we learn from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom that we can get. The second thing is Self-control. Self-control. Remember, a proverb a day keeps the foolish away. That's right. So why is self-control so important to you? So we need self-discipline. We see we can get that through the wisdom of Proverbs. But why is self-control so important? Well, if anybody's ever told you that you are out of control, then you know very well that was not a compliment, was it? No, I, I don't like to hear, or I hope I never hear, you are out of control. You have lost control. I would not, that would not be good. I would not want that. So I need self-control, and you need self-control. How do we get that? How do we get self-control? Well, I want to tell you, I don't believe that self-control is a, is, is a mental thing is more than an emotional thing. Are you in control of your emotions, of your temper, of your anger? It tells us in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Whoever loves discipline, Proverbs 12.1, loves knowledge. But if you hate reproof, which is correction, he is stupid. It actually says, has that translation. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. 1911. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory 
to overlook an offense. We don't see that happening very often these days. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son, for there is hope. Discipline your son. Proverbs 21, 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by the alcohol is not wise. Alcohol causes you to lose control, gets you out of control. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken down and left without walls. No protection. And lastly, 29.11, a fool will give full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I mean, clearly, there's plenty of Proverbs here that show you great harm can come to you if you don't have self-control. So how do you get it? How do you get self-control? Well, I said to you, it's not really in your head. Because you can say a thousand times in your head, repeat it over and over if you want, I will not lose control if someone cuts me off when I'm driving. But you know what happens as soon as someone cuts you off. Your emotions take over. And you might say something that you don't want to say. You might give a one-finger salute you know you shouldn't give. But how do you get self-control? How do you control those emotions? Because that's the key to self-control. It's in your heart. It's your emotions. It's having what is called emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Now, I don't have enough time this morning to to go into um, and and teach about this emotional intelligence, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach that on Wednesday. So I hope you tune in for that on Wednesday. But what I want to do is jump right into an application of self-control and what the Proverbs Um, addresses more than any other thing when it comes to self-control. There is a body part that we must control that the Proverbs talks to us about. In fact, the Bible talks to us about about this a lot. What part of the body do you think we need to control more than any other part? The answer is your tongue, your mouth, what you say. Yeah, what you say. In fact, there is so much damage that can be done with the words that you say. You might recall a little rhyme that you might have said on the playground, you know, when that jerk called you a name. You might have said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will what? Yeah, but they do. Those words stick in our head. We hear them over and over again, and it could have been something that was told to us 30 years ago. Words... They really do hurt. So we must be careful with what we say. And then on the other side of the coin is the fact that words that we say could mean all the the, the difference in the world. They, they They could lift a person's spirit. They could build someone up when we say the right thing. So let's just look at some of those Proverbs because a wise person will control their mouth and what they say. Proverbs 6.19, a false witness breathes out lies. Lying, clearly a problem. Proverbs 9.8, do not reprove a scoffer. I love that. A scoffer. You know, a scoffer, right? That person, they don't even bother trying to correct them. They're going to hate you if you do. 
but if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up anger. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. You know the saying, more flies are caught with honey than with vinegar. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Proverbs 17, 14. 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I love that because I just pictured, like, you could have the most foolish person in the world, but if they don't open their mouth, you don't know they're foolish. It's our mouth that reveals it, right? Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't you know those folks that just want to give you their opinion? And then when they do, you're like, you're such a fool, but you don't say it because you're polite, right? Proverbs 20, 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Don't associate with such a simple babbler. 21, 9. It's better to live on the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, to be fair, we could say a spouse because both men and women quarrel, are, quarrel, uh, are arguers, but I love it. It says, better than to live in the corner of a housetop. Go hide in the corner, right? Then be in a house with that kind of person. Proverbs 25, 24 says the same thing. It's better to live in a corner of a housetop. It's repeated. That's how I know it's important. In fact, another one, 27, 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day. You know that drip, like a faucet dripping over and over and over again? That's compared to a quarrelsome person that you're living with, Right? That's not good. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. How important it is for words aptly spoken. 26, 22, The words of a whisperer, a gossiper, they're delicious morsels. They go into the inner parts of the body. But we know what happens when people gossip. Yeah, bad things happen. Rumors are started. It's not good. Always remember, the best visual image I can give you of gossiping is like someone verbally puking all over you. And if you've ever had somebody puke on you, you know how disgusting that is. So if you have someone gossiping to you, just remember, they're verbally puking all over you. You ain't heard it from me. Isn't that how gossip usually starts? I hope I never do. I hope I never hear it from you. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What that means is faithful are the words of a friend. Even if they hurt you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Watch out for those people who just tell you what you want to hear. Words are important. True friends tell you the truth. Enemies blow kisses. Finally, James says this in James 3, 5. The tongue is a small member of the body, yet it boasts of great things. But how great a forest is set ablaze from a very small fire. How's that for a picture of what the tongue can do? The mouth can cause so much damage, but yet it can also bring great blessing 
to others. In fact, I remind you of Proverbs 25:11, a word fitly spoken like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs, so much wisdom, so little time. Wish I had more time to keep going. But I hope you will make the habit of reading one proverb a day because a proverb a day keeps the foolish away. I think a wise man once said that. That's right. A very wise man said that. A proverb a day keeps the foolish away. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. I pray you have a great day.